Hi, I'm CND's editor, Beth Kennedy. Hi, and I'm CND custom content editor, Nana Ufuriata. And you're listening to CND's clinical podcast. On today's podcast, we're bringing you some content on sports injury. This time, I think I'm the one that's going to be picked on when it comes to sports injury. You're always injuring yourself. <laughs> always, constantly. I don't know why you get back out there as well. It's like, it's not even properly healed yet and you're back on the football pitch. It just makes me feel better, you know. And I think my main problem is in my head, I think I'm still as good as I used to be. <laughs> so I don't I don't know how to pace myself when I just go back. But this time we spoke to um, a guy called Simon, who is currently a rugby player. So plays full-time rugby, also works as a pre-reg pharmacist. Okay. And did he have any good advice to give you about your sprained ankles? It was basically him telling me I'm old. (laughs) Rude. But yeah, no, but he gave me a lot of good advice on what to do to not injure myself. I mean, he's a pretty impressive guy. The fact that he plays full-time rugby and does his pre-reg. So he also led us to talk a little bit about sports pharmacy, which is quite a niche place within pharmacy which a lot of people don't explore because i think we discovered that there's a huge space within sports organizations for pharmacists which are not being used at the moment because every team has a sports doctor Mm. but not every team has a sports pharmacist so you heard it here first folks oh no we can't do that because then everyone will be flocking to go into sports pharmacy it's not just the pcs everyone's going to be going into We're here to champion community as well, guys. Well, you know what? Portfolio careers are all the rage now. And I've spoken to lots of community pharmacists who've dabbled in uh, in sports pharmacy and they've really, really enjoyed it. So I think there's a wealth of experience you can get from that. And I mean, that is also community to me in a way. So, I mean, they might not be store facing, but they're still within the community. We also spent some time speaking to our favourite news journalist, um, Elisa. So yeah, Elise is one of our two news reporters here at CND and she'll be giving us a lowdown of what's happening in news at the moment. A lot going on. I think it's been an incredibly busy couple of weeks in the news team. Some exciting stuff to update you all on in case you missed it. And also you can always go back and have a look at the full stories and we'll have the links and the blurbs. We also have a quick snippet from our Women in Pharmacy series. Yeah, that's our Coffee With podcast. So if you haven't listened to that yet and you maybe you're a woman in pharmacy and you want to hear a little bit about some other people's experiences, maybe you're not a woman in pharmacy and you just kind of want to get, it's kind of a careers podcast as well. It's a, it's a bit about how these really amazing women got to where they are today. So really worth a listen if you haven't already. There are some really impressive people on there. The statement we got from was from a lady in prison pharmacy. And she talks about what it was like working in a prison during lockdown. And it's just so unique how many different things she can do as a pharmacist and how many different places she can work. And then not to forget our episodes of A Dose and a Rose. So Nana, for those listeners who don't know what A Dose from a Rose is, can you tell us what this part of the podcast is all about? A Dose and a Rose is a segment just trying to bring you what the natural sources of the drugs that we're used to seeing within the pharmacy is from linking knowledge of clinical staff to the fact that everything kind of came from a natural source. And if you guys have any other ones that you think I might not know of, just feel free to let me know. It'd be really interesting to find out some new ones. That's a great idea, actually. Tweet us uh, at Chemist Druggist. Tell us what your favourite medicine from a natural source is. Some of them we may not even know ourselves. So I'm really excited to find out. Knowing pharmacists, there's a wealth of knowledge out there that we haven't tapped into yet. 
So now we're going to go over to our newsroom and have a little chat with Elisa Luku, who is one of our two reporters here on the CND team. She's going to give us a bit of a lowdown of what's been going on at the moment. So Elisa, the newsroom has been really busy this month. What have you got for us? I mean, it has been very busy. I've got a few juicy stories here to pick from to discuss with you. The first of these was a blog we ran a few weeks ago where a legal expert, David Reisner, who we refer to quite often when discussing legal matters. Yeah, the guru of legal and ethics. He's CND's legal guru. So he basically wrote a very helpful blog and he delivered what he called an unpalatable message to pharmacy owners who cancel um, locum shifts last minute or who kind of temporarily close pharmacy branches due to staff shortages. And many pharmacy owners might not like this, but he basically suggested that when you kind of agree on a shift with a locum, it's equivalent to putting together a legal contract. So if a pharmacy owner cancels this last minute, then it's equivalent to breaking a legal contract. So you might be liable to compensate a locum for their time. They would have to pay the locum for the shift, basically the money loss. Exactly. Which kind of makes sense, really, because in any other field, if you were a contracted pharmacist, and they told you not to come in that day, they would still have to pay you. But there is one thing that I picked up from the blog, which was the wording of what you have to agree to. And I mean, I've done a few locum shifts in my time. I've never had that kind of contract. It's usually a text message or a phone call saying, um, can you cover this shift? I would be interested to know if that also counts as a legal contract. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a quite another question for David Reisner or pharmacy owners and locums might have to start reevaluating how they set agreements out, whether it's a text message suffices or whether it's going to have to be more formal than that to basically check that they're not going to be liable in any way that they don't anticipate. Yeah, we might have to have terms and conditions <laughs> at the end of the text message. <laughs> Reply if you agree. Okay, so that, that was a really interesting blog. Um, what else did you have for us this month? I recently wrote an article about health education in England which is hoping to make over 3,000 independent prescribing training spots available to pharmacists starting in September. In order to do that, though, they need education providers. So they're inviting education providers to place bids in order to be awarded a contract or multiple contracts, depending on how many people are going to be taken on to provide these courses. Anyway, these contracts amount to about... Thirteen million pounds, and they'll run for about two years, and that will provide training spots for over three thousand pharmacists. Would this be free for the pharmacists then? I don't know. I think not. Yeah, because if the higher educations are bidding for this mm-hmm. to get the money, so then they would be offering the IP roles without pharmacists having to pay. That's something I can't answer, to be honest. Oh, look at that. I, got you I, I am stumped on this. <laughs> at the moment, yes, they have to pay so for I'm themselves. I'm not quite sure how, if... the, how that works. I'm, I'm not yeah. sure if the, the money would go to sort of the, the materials and the resources, need, resources needed to structure these courses. So maybe that's a question to HEE. So how will this mm-hmm. £30 million 
be allocated and how will exactly. um, education providers go on to use this money? Yeah, and what do we get from it as pharmacists if we sign That's up? That's an excellent question, That's, Anna. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and for the last story we had, I'll, I'll let you start this one. Yeah. So all started from a screenshot that was circulated on Twitter, as many stories do here at CND. This screenshot um, shows some guidance from ASDA, which appears to be suggesting that pharmacists will need to self-check in certain circumstances, even though standard SOPs usually call for a two-step check process. So it later emerged that this guidance related to a specific ASDA pharmacy in Manchester. I found this case specifically quite worrying, especially going off of previous stories that CND has run, especially a uh, story based off our 2021 salary survey, which showed that self-checking could be behind a rise in mistakes at work. I particularly love the um, reason as they gave for giving the mandate, as in that pharmacy is not a busy pharmacy. As if that kind of excuses it. That's it. Yeah, it's not busy, so you should you should run it by yourself. Um, the issue with self-checking is your mind sometimes just plays tricks on you, and having two people check the same thing is always better. My problem is with what they're saying is their SOP says it has to be double-checked. So if the pharmacist was to then self-check and make an error, would that count as part of their service? Because they could then say he wasn't following our SOP. It's all a bit muddy, isn't it? Yes, very. And it's very shocking from us that that. Anyway, thank you very much for the stories. It's been another exciting time with you. And hopefully we'll hear from you again next month. I'm sure you will. And now we'll go and listen to the chat I had with Simon on sports injury. What it's like doing sports full time, what kind of things you need to do for recovery. So now we have Simon. I was born in Manchester, grew up in a place called Ipswich. My dad was a GP, so throughout school he was always pushing me towards that sort of medical field. I think I do well for him. I'd be a GP now, but I kind of had my own lane I wanted to delve into, so... Obviously, I was playing rugby for my school. Hated it at first, but I was pretty good at it. I think from the age of about 11 to 17, all I wanted to do was be a rugby player. But then the club I was at at the time didn't offer me a pro contract. So essentially, university, I had to go to uni, obviously. I just liked the idea of pharmacy. You had so much more flexibility in my mind anyway when I looked at it. You could have your own business. You could loaf and work when you want to. So... Rather than the medical field, being a doctor, I thought the pharmacy was for me. That's how you fell into pharmacy. So you've still played rugby since then, haven't you? So you played for uni and you're still playing now. Yeah. So when I was looking at unis to apply to, it was obviously I wanted to go to uni to study pharmacy. But at the same time, rugby was a decision in that. So I played for a team in the third tier of uh, rugby called Darlington Mountain Park up near Sunderland. So the idea for me was always play the rugby uni as well and um just see how far i can go with both really so currently what team are you playing for so i play for Ealing trail finders at the moment we just won the championship now so kind of while i was up 
at uni. I've also played for Darlington for a year and got picked up to play for Newcastle Falcons who were in the Premiership at the time. Spent four years in Newcastle set up there whilst obviously at uni. Then uh, graduated and came down to London to come play for Reading. What is a typical week for you? Oh, a typical week for me. So from a rugby point of view, we train Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with a day off on a Thursday and then like a light day on a Friday. So with obviously the pre-reg, I've had to do that part-time over two years. So I do 21 hours a week in the pharmacy, which obviously means on my day off from rugby, I do a full day in the pharmacy. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm literally finishing training, going straight to the pharmacy to try and sneak in four hours. So, so, it's, a, it's a tough week. I normally get to Saturday after a game and I'm just ready for bed. Definitely have to make some lifestyle changes as opposed to when I was at uni. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Now, you, you would have had a completely unique experience of a pre-rage compared to anyone else that has gone through it. How has it been like doing it the way you did it? Because you not only had to do it over two years, you also got the pandemic in between those. So how did that affect your rugby and studying and working for pre-rage? Do you know what? It's gone through stages. So like rugby in itself is quite mentally quite taxing. So there'll be times in rugby where things are amazing. Then you might lose a game you're not supposed to lose. And then, you know, your morale's a bit low. It's a tough week. So in the weeks, I'm a bit low from rugby. Obviously, I've got pharmacy. No one there cares who you play for, how you play for the weekend. So mentally, it's quite good. Um, but obviously it's tough because with rugby you're blessed in that you've got a lot of spare time so when your teammates are going off for coffees going for lunch or your housemates at home sleeping you're at work so mentally it can be you know it goes both ways it can be good at times and sometimes quite tough that is very different I mean we used to complain about doing our pre-rage about having to stand on our feet for some hours but you've You've had to not just stand on your feet, be running around and then coming into the pharmacy. And like you said, no one cares in the pharmacy what your day has been like. Once you're there, you just have to get to work. This month's episode is on sports injuries. Now, I know personally that you've had a few injuries yourself. Do you mind giving us a quick rundown through some of the injuries you've had? As a player, sometimes you have to get soft tissue injuries, so like maybe a calf strain or you might tear your hamstring slightly or whatever. But the... um. Serious injuries I've had. I've had um, MCL repair on my knee. So that was about six and a half months out. Torn ligaments on my wrist. There was another four months there. And then I think I've also done ankle ligaments as well. It was like another two or three months. So those are probably the most serious ones I've had. But every now and again, you might tweak your calf and be out for two to three weeks or whatever. I like how you say just tweak your calf and like... <laughs> I played football and I almost sprained my knee and I was out for a week and I made sure everyone knew about it. <laughs> you, talk, you talk about it as if yeah, it's just any, any other day. So basically, we just wanted to see if you could just give us some tips on like what you should do in not all of us are professional athletes, but the kind of things that you do to warm up and to warm down, the things you should do before you start engaging in sports and activity. Yeah, so like you said, prevention is better than cure. So if you can warm up well before anything you do, then obviously you're in a good position. So I always think before every session we do, we have a warm up. We go in the gym, we stretch, we do our individual stuff. But even though that's in a professional environment, you think before you go for a gym session or anything like that, you know, a quick five minutes on the treadmill, 
uh, a bit of stretching. That's essentially what we're doing. So I just think you don't want to ever go into any, you know, strenuous activity without having a warm up. And it could just be a little walk, a little jog, but just something to get your heart rate up and get your muscles warm. We always know about a warm up, but what, what is the importance of a warm down? A warm down is important as well. You don't want to just go from being really active to being sat down and doing nothing. So again, stretch off, go for maybe five minutes in the treadmill after your gym session. You know, like you say, keep your muscles warm. You don't want to just go from doing nothing to doing a lot and doing a lot to going straight to nothing without any uh, transition. And also, like you've, we've had a quick chat up through some of the injuries you've got and like being out of like not being able to play. What do you do in that time to basically keep yourself sane? Well, for me, it's been all right because I've been in the pharmacy, so I've been busy. But so when you're injured, do you go into the pharmacy still? Yeah, I've been into the pharmacy with moon boots. I've been there with crutches and all sorts. So <laughs> the thing is, from our point of view, as soon as you're injured at trade, like in a game or whatever, you do have that initial period of rest. So whilst you're waiting for your scan results or anything like that, you're going to have that initial period of rest, which is obviously important to anyone who's had an injury. I know it goes back to typical uni lectures, your whole rice, all that kind of stuff. We do all of that. We're resting. We've got ice. We've got compression on it. And we're trying to stay off our feet if that's what it is or whatever. So that is literally carried straight into rugby. That's exactly what we do. And then I would say the big thing is when you're recovering, because what I think an issue is, if you're not sort of controlled with your recovery, you might just think, oh, I feel better now. Let me go back to do what I'm doing. I wish I'd had that advice before. Because <laughs> five aside, you injure yourself the next week. It feels a bit better. You just go straight back to playing. <laughs> That that actually, that makes a lot of sense, really, because then it gives your muscle and your whole body time to basically figure out what it used to be able to do before you just go back. I'll take that on board. I'll try and not keep injuring myself when I, when I train next time. So you've got a unique perspective, once again, from being able to be in a sporting field and being in a pharmacy field. Have you seen any benefits? Like you've said how you've taken stuff from rugby into pharmacy. Have you been able to take anything like, apart from the rice, is there anything that you've been able to take from pharmacy into rugby to help, say, your teammates or anything like that? Yeah, I would say so. So I actually probably get most of my OTC revision and law revision comes through helping my teammates out and speaking to our club doctors. So it's got to the stage now where any of my teammates got an issue, they'll come to me and then I'll direct them in the best way to go. Our doctor, if she needs to get a prescription over to the pharmacy, she'll call me. So I'm almost the middleman between my team and our pharmacy. So I think it's been beneficial for everyone. My teammates probably see taking medication in a different way from having conversations with me, probably helped a few doctors, revise a few law issues with their prescriptions. So like, it's actually it's worked well for all parties, I'd say. In that case, would you say that there is a space for pharmacy in sports or basically like sports pharmacists? So, like, it would be good for teams to have a pharmacist, basically, on board. I think so, because in rugby especially, there is, obviously, being a very, very physical sport, there's a lot of high contact. There has been issues of medication in brain rugby, and I think it's the same for like, American football being a physical sport as well. So, I know full well there's games that I've gone into where I'm taking painkillers before I play. For me, it's a bit different because I understand the medication, I understand how to take it, what I should do with it. But not everyone has that knowledge. So I think I would say my teammates who may have had a few bad habits previously would have benefited massively from 
me saying, oh, you shouldn't do that, or even take this with food. It's little things like that. I know sports pharmacy is a thing in, like you said, the States. And in the UK, during the Olympics, we had a few sports pharmacies, a few pharmacies opened around. But I think that might be a thing that needs to be looked at because I think having pharmacy in sports is actually a unique opportunity for a lot of pharmacists that we don't even think about when it comes to occupations. So are, are you going to plan to um, take that? I think if something came up, 110%. I think for me, I want to, like I said earlier like with my dad, I wanted to find my own unique sort of lane in what I wanted to do. And I think it's the same with pharmacy. I don't think it's hard for someone like me who's gone from playing rugby, having that kind of career to then go to a, you know, be in a pharmacy nine to five. I want to just be in something a bit unique, be able to, if I could stay in sport, it'd be great, but just something a bit unique. Well, maybe you can suggest that to your team. So you've seen us, you're already doing the job. They might as well pay you for it. <laughs> um, so the final question, basically, before we get onto the real space, is the benefits of basically doing sports. Not just to the individual, we know what the benefits are to an exercise, but in an occupation such as pharmacy where you're basically on your feet uh, most of the time, do you think there is any extra benefit for pharmacists in particular to be exercising and doing sports? 100%. Like you see a lot at the moment when you look at things like, especially in community, like burnout and things like that, and work can both be quite stressful. I know what it's like to have a busy day and you get home and you're like, oh, I can't be bothered to do anything. But funnily enough, everyone in the pharmacy that I'm working at at the moment, I think they managed to strike a deal with the local gym. And now the conversation is, oh, are you going to this class tonight? Are you going to that class tonight? And I've actually noticed, like it's more from a mental side of things, the atmosphere in the pharmacies is great. Everyone's mentally a bit sharper. And it's obviously, there's a lot of research out there. Sport just helps you mentally. Like in terms of things like mental health and your energy, it helps. So I think it's huge. It's massive. I'm obviously very lucky that I've got these two jobs where I can get away from one and get away from the other when I need to. And I can stay mentally fresh and it helps me through down times and other scenarios. Having that other focus is huge. That point is the nail because I remember working through the pandemic. The hardest time was when the gyms closed. It wasn't even to do with having staff out. It was literally when you couldn't have that time where you could go into the gym and basically just air out some of your frustrations and just feel better when you come back. But yeah, so point you're making basically is not just the physical part that sports plays, it's the mental part that really helps when it comes to a job like ours. Final point before I let you go, and we'll also give a bit shout out to your team and to your pharmacy. What advice would you give the average Joe like me on how to prevent sports injury when I'm actually playing or when I'm actually doing an exercise? It sounds silly, but just if you always know what you're doing, you're monitoring what you're doing, then you're going to know when you're either doing too much or you're putting yourself at risk. So you haven't got to go and buy an Apple watch, but you know any sort of like fitness watch that tracks your calories or tracks how long you're training for, even if you're not doing anything with the numbers, you're then conscious of it. And I think you find a lot of people, they're looking, I want to burn X amount of calories per day or per week or whatever. Just having that awareness of what you're doing, a physical point of view and having goals. I think when you know what you're doing and you're not just aimlessly running around playing football to your 
calf tears or whatever, then everything is just controlled, I think. I just think once you get into that habit of you're maybe fitness conscious or you're just conscious of whatever sport you're doing, you're going to have a lot more control over what you're doing, I would say. That's thought-provoking there. And also another thing that I used to do that you've taught me not to do. So basically make sure that you are doing what is within your limit and not pushing yourself. I'm learning I'm learning so much today. <laughs> that even applies to people in professional sports. I mean, like for us, I know when we get in the gym, egos come out and boys want to lift the squat the most. You've got to know your body. You've got to know what you can do, what you can't do. Like me, for example, when it comes to fitness tests and running, that's not my strongest suit. So <laughs> I know how to attack that and approach that. Whereas other teammates, you know, they can run all day. And for them, it's about putting more weight on in the gym. So you just got to know yourself and know that you can't have a blanket approach. What works for you might not work for someone else or vice versa. That's really good advice there. And you're getting it straight from a professional. So before we let Simon go, we're going to let him give a shout out to... So what team did you say you play for and when do you play? And when can we watch you? <laughs> so play for Ealing Trailfinders in Ealing, West London. Season's going to start again in September. So the more faces there, the better. And obviously work for Temple Pharmacy in Ealing, just down the road on Pitsanger Lane. So shout out to them. Now here comes the part of the podcast where we're going to shamelessly promote another CD podcast that we've been doing over the past few months. Hopefully you'll have heard of it already. It is called the A Coffee With Podcast, where we sit down with some of pharmacy's most prominent or prestigious women. Some of them may be familiar faces to you. Others we hope will be introducing you to. And it's really just a chance to sit down and listen to how they got to where they are today and hopefully just provide some really good inspiration for a lot of you out there obviously we're the ones coming into the environment so we're more likely probably to bring it in so we have to ensure we were being safe for the safety of those that were treated still making sure people are being medicated as their prescriptions has been and ensure that we have enough staff to run a service as well so i think that's been a challenge for the last two years and just adapting to the pandemic and I think overall I must commend my team they've been absolutely fantastic in the last two years and been truly adaptable and taking it head on and and just pushing through. Do you think the changes you've had to make because of the pandemic will be sustained has that changed the way some pharmacy works within prisons now? Yes we've developed a stronger working relationship with them um, in terms of our role as pharmacists, pharmacy technicians. So that has definitely been one of the positives of the pandemic. And also it kind of made the patients more aware of what pharmacists do and what pharmacy technicians do and what our role involves. And we've had a lot of thank yous and people acknowledging the work that we've done and ensuring that they get the medications and ensuring they're being looked after. So that's been really good. You can find A Coffee With podcast on your preferred podcast provider. It's a CND podcast, so you can also visit our CND Soundcloud page and they're all there for you as a series to listen to. Alternatively, have a search on the CND website for A Coffee With and all of them will come up for you. We've had such an incredible range of women on there from Thorin Govand, who is the chair of the RPS's English Pharmacy Board, to Victoria Steele, who is Lloyd's Pharmacy's first ever, I believe, female superintendent. So there's a real, real range there. And I do urge you to go and take a listen. And finally, now you get to listen to my um, tones on a dose from a rose. This month's one was a really interesting one, so here's a dose from a rose. 
the dolls we bring to you today is vincristin and vinblastin, both chemotherapy drugs. And these drugs are usually obtained from the vinca plant, also known as a periwinkle. It's viewed beautiful flowers that come in different forms. The periwinkle is the flower that we use and we get the drug vinblastin and vincristin from. Thank you for joining me for another session of A Dose from a Rose. Thanks for that, Nana. I hope you all enjoyed this month's segment of A Dose from a Rose. That's it from us this time. So for our next clinical podcast, we're looking at sexual health. So we're going to talk everything sexy and everything sexual when it comes to pharmacy. So doing EHC, it should be a really interesting lesson. So I hope to see you guys there. Lots going on in that area at the moment with new drugs coming out, some reclassifications. I think it's a really exciting time for pharmacists in this area. So really excited to hear you talking about that. And I, I will say that although we like to keep this podcast nice and personal, I think maybe this is one occasion where we won't be getting into the nitty gritty of our personal no. lives. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we'll be a little bit more quick on this one. Yeah, I think so. But thank you so much for listening to this episode. Is that your dog, Nana? Yeah, that's Bruno. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of CND's Clinical Podcast. Really hope you enjoy it. So from me, Beth Kennedy, thanks for listening. And from me, Nana Furieta, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye.